Please open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. So in, uh, when we do the family services, the, part, the, part, the reason we want to do the family services is we, because um, we want the kids to be in with the adults for, for church a few times a year to see what happens in big church so that uh, when they're out of children's church and into middle school, junior high, or high school, that they feel comfortable worshiping with people of all ages. And I, I really do enjoy that our church has people of all ages. And I even love it when our music team up here has people of all ages. Uh, and so we had people, uh, we had somebody around, uh, how old is she? Is she 10 or 11? 10. So we had a 10-year-old up here. How many of you were 10 years old when you started singing in church? Is anybody, anybody there? Okay. Got, yeah, 12. Okay. Seven even. Okay. All right. Uh, so you can, you can start really worshiping and even participating at a very young age. And if, if you start participating, the younger you start in church participating and doing things, the more of an ownership that you'll feel in church. Um, so we had somebody who was 10. We had somebody uh, who, and, and I guess I don't, I don't want to give everybody's ages because I don't even know everybody's ages, but we may have had somebody whose first digit started with seven. All right, and we had some, some people whose first digit started with six, uh, and, and some with four, and maybe, I don't know, from there on down, okay? So we, three, okay, she said it so I can say it. Our first digit starts with three. All right. And that's quite a range to have on stage, all right? And that's a wonderful, glorious thing uh, to have up here. Every age group representing Christ, every age group participating in worship, every age group, group leading in worship. Um, we don't let the 10-year-olds preach, but uh, we will have... We will have a guest preacher in a couple of weeks. Um, John Pratt, I'm going to go ahead and just announce it. In a couple of weeks, John Pratt's going to be preaching. Uh, my, one of my goals as a missionary, remember, I, 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 one of the things that was drilled into us in missionary training is your job as a missionary is to work yourself out of a job. Okay? You're supposed to go there and work and then hand everything over and then step back and go someplace else. If, uh, but, but more than likely, a missionary is going to have one place as their life work uh, for, most of the, for most of their career. But... Um, anything that you can do to hand over and let local people uh, take it over, that's great. Now, I'm not planning on going anywhere, but <clears throat> I do want there to be several people that we, can, um, that we can draw on to fill the pulpit. We have uh, two or three other people that can, that can fill the pulpit uh, if I'm ever sick or if, I, if I'm away, uh, but that wasn't good enough for me. I wanted to have uh, uh, at least one more. And so John Pratt has shown to me that he has a, a love of the Word of God, and so he and I, for the last, oh, I don't know, John, how long have we been writing this sermon? A good year? Just about a year? We've been working, not to, uh, we met together several times, and then life happens, you know, that kind of a thing. Uh, but we've gone through it, and, and uh, we've talked about the meat of the, the passage, we've talked about delivery. And so in a couple of weeks, um, we're going to get to hear from him. I'll be back for that. Uh, I'm not going to be gone. I'm going to be gone during the middle of the week. So my sermon preparation time is going to be in, in, infringed upon during that week. So I thought, you know what, that would be a great chance uh, to let John um, come up here and, and preach. So please be praying for him for the next couple of weeks as he prepares to give a sermon here on Sunday morning. All right. Uh, in, the, in the family services, we've been going through the fruits of the Spirit. I, uh, Susie suggested that for me. Uh, to me, uh, because sometimes it's just hard to think of, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to talk about? So she said, do the fruits of the Spirit. And I thought, hey, that's a great idea. So we, we've gone through the fruits of the Spirit. Today's the last one. Uh, after this, after this, somebody else gave me the idea, go through the Beatitudes. Go through the, through the Beatitudes. The next time we do a family service, it'll be in June, and we'll start with the, with, uh, the, the Beatitudes. Uh, and so I, I look forward to those, uh, to those sermons that we'll have 
um, <clears throat> during the family services. And when I was doing the, the reading and the research for, uh, for this, one of the commenters uh, had an interesting observation. And, I, and, and this is the way Paul writes. Most of the time in, in Westerners, when we, when we speak, we, we tell you what our main point is at first, and then we give supporting arguments afterwards. But Paul is an Asian. He thinks very differently. If you ever read the Bible and say, what in the world is he talking about? He seems to be going all around something. That's because he's from a different culture, and his logic, his way of thinking is very different uh, from ours. And what, he's, what he has done in this passage here uh, with the fruits of the Spirit is he's building to a crescendo. So he doesn't tell you what he's starting out at first. He just starts sort of, he gives all of his supporting points or, or, or talks about something for a while until he leads up to his final thing here. And so the commenter said, all of these other, all of these other fruits of the Spirit really depend on your ability to have some self-control. And I thought that was fascinating. That's fascinating to think of all these fruits of the Spirit. And let's just go ahead and read our passage, and then we'll, we'll look at all of them. Okay. Heavenly Father, we're, we're about to read our passage. Please open our minds. Holy Spirit, be our teacher, and help us to understand what it is you're trying to produce in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which some of your Bibles might say patience, uh, but it's really your ability to endure difficult things. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And I always love that last little, little line there because this church or this group of churches he was talking to, uh, they were sort of debating or they were falling into a trap of, of wondering what is the essence of the, the Christian life. And for them, it was rule following and rituals. And uh, Paul comes back and says, no, 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 this is what the Spirit is trying to produce in your life. Uh, if you want to follow a law, follow the law to have these attributes in your life. That's a good law to follow. Uh, if, if, you, if the essence of the Christian life to you is what you abstain from, forget that. What is the essence of the Christian life? It is what the Holy Spirit of God is trying to produce uh, in your life. And when, when I think about these things, uh, when I look at them, I say to myself, of course, of course that's what I want God to produce in my life. Isn't that what everybody wants to have in their life? Why in the world would you want to have a life marked by anything else? Let's just look at the, the sort of the opposites. Now, previously in that verse, in that passage, he gives another list of, of all these things that are uh, what they call the works of the flesh. But I was just looking at, uh, at this as, as a sort of the, the opposite of the good fruits that the Spirit wants to produce in your life. Uh, the opposite of love is what? Hate. Why would you want to have a life characterized? Why would you want the dominant emotion in your life to be hate? Nobody wants that. Would you want that? Of course you wouldn't want that. That eats you up from the inside out. Uh, instead of joy, sadness. Why would you want to have sadness characterize your life? Of course you don't. You want joy in your life. Peace. Of course you want peace between you and God and between you and other people. What's the opposite of that? Strife. To see every relationship as a battle that I have to win. I have to win with God. I have to beat God. God is working with me in my life, but I've got to win. I've got to uh, overcome him instead of him overcoming me. Why would you want that? Me, with other people, these are all people I must dominate. If I don't dominate them, they're going to dominate me. Why would I want that? Why would I want to have a life like that? Why wouldn't I rather like to live at peace with God and peace with people? Why wouldn't I want that? Um, forbearance or patient endurance. 
Why would I want the opposite of that? Why would I want to surrender to everything that's trying to destroy me? The world wants to destroy you. Life wants to destroy you. Sin wants to destroy you. All of those things. And why do, would I want a, a, a life characterized by knuckling under to every bad thing that's out there? And I just say, just do what you want. Just do what you want. Just do what you want. No. I don't want that. I want victory in my life. Uh, kindness. Kindness. Why would I want to uh, have, why would I want to be indifferent? Indifferent to all the suffering in the world. Why would I want to be that way? Uh, goodness. And goodness, uh, um, the way I took it in that sermon, or the way I preached it in that sermon, was generosity. Being good to other people. Being generous to other people with either stuff or time or energy you spend with them, time spent with them, something like that. Why would I want to be miserly? Miserly with the goods God has given me. Miserly um, with uh, the time and energy that I have. I understand miserliness. Uh, it's, it's so that you have enough, but if, if, if I'm not letting anybody else enjoy it, I'm probably not enjoying it myself either. Why would I want a life characterized by being undependable. I want to be faithful, faithful to God, faithful to other people. And why would I want a life that's not gentle? Why would I want harshness to characterize my life? Why would I want to, people to avoid talking to me or spending time with me because I'm so harsh? I don't want that. I don't want to isolate myself because there's no gentleness about me. And why would I want a chaotic life? Why would I want life to be so chaotic because I am blown by every wind that's around. No, I've got to have uh, some self-control. Some self-control. <clears throat> and so, does a, let me ask you a question. Does a, a lack of self-control lead to most of the problems that, uh, or at least most of the, the self-inflicted problems that you've got in your life? If you look at your life and you look at all the problems that you have or you look uh, at what's really dragging you down in life, are, are those problems external? Are they completely external? Or are some of them internal? Uh, that's, that's a problem. This is a problem in my life. And guess what? I'm the problem. The problem is with me. Our church has a ministry here called Celebrate Recovery. And Celebrate Recovery is a wonderful ministry. Uh, it's, uh, most people think of it as AA or Narcotics Anonymous or something like that. But most of the people that we have in our group aren't really struggling with chemical dependency. They're struggling with a lot of relational things in their life. They're struggling with the past. They're struggling with the present. Uh, they're struggling with abuse that they've endured. Uh, and then there are some people who have given themselves over to substance control. And I attended. I attended because there are a few things in my life that, have been, that were, are becoming or were becoming unmanageable. I'm, I'm getting a little bit better now. But in my own life, um, I have used, okay, it's not a chemical dependency unless chips and salsa are a chemical. And I guess they are. They have a chemical structure, don't they, Dr. Carnes? All right. So uh, chips and salsa have a chemical structure. And so I have a chemical dependency problem. And it's not just chips and salsa. It's cheese and chocolate. Okay? And when I get down to it, it's just about anything that I could eat. Uh, several years ago, uh, not several, a few years ago, I was preaching here, and I was saying that there was one time uh, that all I had in the house, I didn't have any chips in the house, I didn't have any dip or any salsa or anything like that. Uh, so I ended up just dipping saltine crackers in ranch dressing, okay? It got bad, okay? I hit a low, all right? Um, and it's funny, except it's not funny. But I don't just have this overeating problem where I eat my feelings. Uh, I have anger. I have anger. Uh, and it has, 
it has bothered bothered my wife when she's seen it. It's bothered my kids, I've noticed, uh, when they've seen it. There are things that I've got to get control over, or they're going to control me. All right? So let me ask you again. Do you have problems in your life that are very much self-inflicted, that if I didn't have this, life would be better, but how in the world am I going to get control over this? Because I have no self-control in this area. Be thinking about that. Be thinking about what you need. Because most of us have some sort of hang-up. Uh, the tagline for, for Celebrate Recovery is, it's for anybody with hurts, habits, or hang-ups. Uh, you may have hurts in your life that you haven't talked to anybody about, but it's the thing that's in the back of your mind that has driven and directed your life, put you on a certain trajectory for a long time, longer than it should have. And you need to get over that hang-up. You've got some hurt, uh, some past abuse that you need to talk about, or you've got a habit that it's just, it's just something I started doing, and now I can't stop, and it's got control over my life, and if I didn't have this, I'd have a lot more freedom. If, if that sounds like you in any way, I, I invite you again, come to Celebrate Recovery. It is one of the most honest places in our church environment. And, and I don't feel like we have people here who put on a facade. Don't put on a facade. Don't say that I've got to be perfect before I tell them what I used to have a problem with. No, no, no. If you've got a problem now, tell us about the problem now. Uh, in Celebrate Recovery, it's incredible how people's openness and honesty produces openness and honesty in other people. If you're willing to talk about it, well, then they're willing to talk about it, too. And I promise you, especially with the testimonies we watch, holy cow, most of the problems I have heard people talk about in our Celebrate Recovery are small potatoes compared to the video testimonies that we've watched from there's this big church in Florida that has it. Just a couple of weeks ago, I won't drill this home too far, but this guy is talking about his first stabbings, his first shootings, and things like that and all the, the dealing that he did. And Jesus helped him get over those things, over things that most people go to prison for for the rest of their life. But Jesus got him through it and got him over it. So I don't know, if, you've, if you don't have control over your thoughts, if you don't have control over your desires, if you don't have control over your habits, if you don't have control over the chemicals in your life, I invite you, come be part of the recovery and the thing is, we need Christ to, to, to help us with this control. I, I almost would look at Paul and say, Hey, Paul, I don't want to preach self-control. Because self-control, me making the own, my own decisions in my life, is sort of has, one, has gotten me into this fix. I don't need self-control. I need Christ controlling my life. Because most of the time when you see people who, let's say, this household, and the household is just getting out of control. The household is out of control. It's nothing but fighting. It's nothing but chaos all the time. Normally, when a human, and not Christ, gains control of what's going on in the house, it will swing to one extreme or the other. And when I was thinking about this, I thought, okay, so um, if you imagine this chaotic household where people say, we've got to get control, but if Christ isn't control, either the one extreme is, it won't happen. It just won't happen. All of our attempts will fail, and the house will remain as chaotic as it is. Or we'll go to the other extreme, where it's like the Von Trapp family household. Do you remember in The Sound of Music, the Von Trapp family household? Would you like to be a kid in that household? What happened? 
Captain Von Trapp, if you don't know the story, if you don't know the story, how can you not know the story of the sound of music? Captain Von Trapp's wife had died, and he was the captain of a ship, and so he started learn, uh, running the household like the only thing he knew how to run, a ship. And so all the kids had uniforms and a whistle. He had a whistle where they all knew not their name, but their sound. Beep, beep. Oh, that's me. Okay? Now, that house was not chaotic, but that house was not a home. There was no love. There was no affection in this house. There was only order. And so when I think about people getting control of their life without Christ's help, it's very hard to do it and to do it balanced and to do it properly. It'll either just not happen or we go so far to the other extreme that life still has no meaning and purpose, something like that. So you need Christ to control. You, you, don't, even, you don't just need self-control. You need God-guided, Christ-guided self-control. And so what does that mean? That means having the eyes and the mind of Christ to look at every moment and say, what does the moment require here? What does the moment require here? Does the, the moment require speech or silence? Okay, uh, uh, some of, uh, there, was a, there was a meme that went around on Facebook a while back that said, you know what, I've got a good heart, but this mouth, you know, gets me in trouble every time. Uh, I don't know if that's scriptural, because out of the heart the mouth speaks, isn't that right? Um, but what does the moment require? What should I do in every single moment? And looking at Christ and saying, I'm in this moment, I feel this feeling, I have this stress, what does it require, Lord, and give me the courage to do that? The greatest self-control moment, I think, in the whole Bible is when Christ is on uh, trial before Pilate. Uh, and so Pilate, he's gotten, he's gotten false accusations all night long. He's weary. Um, he's been beat up a little bit by this point, quite a bit. And all the, all the lawyers or whatever are presenting their case, and it's nothing uh, but a bunch of hokum. None of it is true. None of it is right. And before Pilate, Jesus remains silent. And it's not because there were no words to say. Jesus had silenced crowds of people before. But in this moment, Jesus, I believe, guided by his Father, the Father says, this moment requires you not to defend yourself. You have defended yourself. You have defended me. You have defended the law and prophets. You have defended the great commandment. All this time, for three years, anytime anybody had a question, it was never too difficult for you. They walked away silent or shamed or rejoicing because they finally have the answer. But in this moment, I'm sorry, son. I know you know the answer. I know you know exactly what you'd say. I know you, that you know exactly how to save yourself out of this predicament. But that's not what the moment requires. The moment here requires you to endure the accusations, endure the slander, and get the giver. Ouch. What self-control for Jesus to know the moment, be in the moment, be guided and surrendered to his Father in the moment, and say... I know I can say anything and be out of this. But what is required is that I go through this.
It takes a lot of self-control. It takes a lot of courage. So in your life, I ask you again, when you're in the moment, say, say to yourself, this is a stressful moment. This is a moment when I feel attacked. This is a moment when I feel stressed. This is a moment when I need something. But ask the Lord, what does the moment require? And in every moment, be in control. Every moment, be in control. Be in control of your speech. What should I say? I had a, I had a colleague, a teammate in China, uh, who he got himself in trouble with, with his speech all the time. And he, so he learned something. When he was about to say something one, one day, and it was probably going to be inappropriate, I don't know, uh, but he, he, he sort of opened his mouth and went, self-censor. And he did that several times, and it was really funny. Uh, but I applaud him. How many times should you have censored yourself, and you didn't? But he just started to say, self-censor. I'm just going to let that one go. I'm going to throw that one away. That, doesn't, that one doesn't need to get out there. Because you can't get those words back uh, once they're out there. And being controlled of everything you eat, everything you drink, all the media you consume, and just look at it and say, what does this moment require? And so for me, as an overeater, I look at this and I say, all right, Wes, here we are. What does the moment require? Does the moment require another plate of this? And the problem is it never does require a second plate. So there's really only about one day a year you can get away with your gluttony and celebrate it. But even on Thanksgiving, I could still show some portion control, couldn't I? And couldn't I go away feeling better? Really, I could. And this is just me talking about me. Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever media you are consuming, step back and say, I think that's enough. Maybe for me, zero is the proper amount, okay? Sobriety is a central Christian ethic. Because uh, in the book of Ephesians, what does it say? It says, don't be drunk with wine. Instead, be controlled by the Spirit. And there are a lot of things besides alcohol these days that make people lose sobriety, that make people lose their minds. But for the Christian, if you never let something else take control of your mind, it's either the substance, the thing, or it's the Holy Spirit. So you have got to let the Holy Spirit stay in control. And I put this thing down here also, don't admit, omit good works. Because in the moment, in the moment, I guess, I guess this is what I want to say. Some of these others are easy to, are easy to talk about um, because those are sins of commission. You commit those sins. But there are other things called sins of omission, things that you should have done and didn't. And it takes a lot of self-control to come to somebody and say, I wasn't going to say anything, but it looks like you're hurting, and it looks like you need prayer. Can I listen to you, and can I pray for you? Or it takes a lot of control to come over to somebody and say, I think you, I, I think you look like you need help. Can I tell you about Christ? And remember, to do this all in a loving and tactful way, and not in a, an attack but be tactful, to come to somebody and say, let me, tell you, let me tell you a little bit about myself, and let me tell you a little bit about what I maybe am still like or used to be like, but that Jesus is getting me through it. Can I offer you the same salvation that I have partaken of? And it takes courage to do that. So I would say that for most of us in here, 
Eh, these other things here, no big deal. No big deal. Maybe it is a big deal. I don't know. But are we omitting the good works? Do we not have enough self-control to get over our fear, fear of retaliation, fear of reaction, fear of rejection, fear of reprisal or whatever, and go over and say, I see that you need. Can I see what I can do about filling that need? Can I do that? Can I come into your life? Can I invite you into my life? Because I've got something that I think you need. All right? Self-control isn't just about what we don't do. It's about what we have the courage to do also. And so what's the key to self-control or Christ-control, giving Christ uh, control over your life? Find your motivator. What is your motivator? Um, and the most noble motivator that there is, the, the motivator I want you to have, is your love for Christ. What did he say? If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. If you, will, if you love me, you'll let me become Lord of your life. If you love me, you'll let me call the shots. I call shots better than anybody. Let me call the shots. But sometimes that's not the best motivator. Or, excuse me, it is the best, the best and most noble motivator. But sometimes it doesn't work. And I remember several times in my life that my love for Christ was not strong enough. And then I met Susie. And the fact is, uh, I hate to say this before God. I hate to be this honest. I hate to tell everybody this. But there are sins I repented of for Susie that I wouldn't repent of for God. He worked on me for years and years and years convicting me of these things. But only when I had to look in her face and see her reaction did I really get that, okay, this really is something I need to repent of. And then there have been other times that uh, I look at my kids and I say, okay, Wes, okay, Wes, uh, you had children later in life. Do you want to see them grow up? Do you want to see them get married and have children? Maybe you need some lifestyle changes if you're planning to make it to 80 years old. So I found my motivators. I always hope that my love for Christ is my motivator. It hasn't always been. But what will motivate you uh, in order to do right? Maybe it should be love for Christ, but maybe it's, uh, maybe it's also just health or goals or the future or other people that you love. Find the motivator. And then finally, um, yield control to Christ. Yield control to Christ. Ask for her, his perspective. Ask for his perspective because only his perspective will really help you see yourself and other people properly. You'll get his wisdom, you'll get his passion every day to live life, the abundant life that he has promised. And let him call the shots in your life. Lay aside your pride, the pride that says, I always know what to do in every single situation. I'll handle it. Well, the, problem, the, the truth is you probably haven't always called the right, uh, made the right decision in every single situation. So please, yield your pride. Stop making excuses. And ask him for the courage to just have radical obedience to him. And that is the life under Christ's control. No pride.
No excuses. Radical obedience. Okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you that you have shown us in the Bible exactly what you're trying to produce in our life. And Lord, I ask you to give us all the love, the joy, the peace, the forbearance, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, especially the self-control, so that we can produce all of these things. Lord, guide our hearts, guide our minds, show us the perspective every day so that we can see what is good, what is harmful, and cling to the good and shun the harmful in our life. Help us to be a people full of the fruits of the Spirit. Help us to be a people who yield control over to you and have radical obedience in our life. We thank you for all the food that we're about to uh, consume together. Help us to enjoy our fellowship across the table so much that we get closer and closer to each other and closer and closer to you in the process. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. You are dismissed.